Welcome to Why We Work, the podcast aimed at sharing ideas to create a happier, more productive workforce. I'm Anthony Madison. Welcome to the show. When you hear the term gig economy, what do you think of? I think for a lot of us, we think of Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, these side jobs that have arisen in the past several years where we can make our own schedules and make some extra income. But what if I told you that the gig economy is actually much bigger than that? In fact, it includes independent consultants, owners of pop-up shops, temporary workers, even writers and podcasters like me. Not only does the gig economy now make up an estimated 30 to 40% of our current workforce, that number is only expected to grow in the coming years as more and more people take advantage of the flexibility and opportunities that the gig economy can provide. And it makes sense. Because when we talk about creating a happier, more productive workforce, the gig economy may be a key to providing us with more satisfaction in our work. The gig economy allows us to pursue endeavors that we are deeply passionate about and that motivate us and provide us meaning in our work and in life. The gig economy is an opportunity to turn passion projects into full-time careers. Even when we think of the gig jobs in the service sector, driving for Uber or delivering for Postmates, the flexibility that comes with these jobs provides added satisfaction in what are traditionally low engagement fields. I wanted to get a better understanding of what the gig economy is all about, how to make the leap into becoming a full-time gig worker, and what it means for the future of our workforce and the future of full-time employment as we know it. To do this, I caught up with Diane Mulcahy. Diane wrote the book on the gig economy, quite literally. She's the author of The Gig Economy, the complete guide to getting better work, taking more time off, and financing the life you want. Diane's work has appeared in Forbes, The Wall Street Journal, The New York Times, and Harvard Business Review. She's a foremost expert and speaker on the topics of the gig economy and private equity. She was gracious enough to join us for an interview. Take a listen. All right, Diane, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks so much for having me. Wonderful. So just for the sake of definition, as we get started here, I think we hear a lot about the term gig economy, especially in the past few years, but we maybe don't have a clear understanding of what that term actually means. So I think when people think about the gig economy, they automatically think companies like DoorDash and Uber, which are certainly key players in the gig economy, but we're actually talking about a much broader, something much broader than that when we talk about the gig economy. Is that right? Could you explain exactly what we mean when we talk about the gig, the gig economy? Yes, I can. And that's actually a great place to start because I do think when you say the gig economy, a lot of people immediately think Uber. Right. And that's it. And we can certainly talk about Uber and on-demand workers are clearly part of the gig economy, but they are only part. The way that I talk about and define the gig economy is much broader, Mm -hmm. and it really includes anybody who is not a full-time employee in a full-time job. Mm -hmm. So it includes consultants, independent contractors, advisors, freelancers, and on-demand workers. And that group of gig economy workers really covers all income levels, all education levels, and most uh, sectors and industries. So it's incredibly broad. Absolutely. And so we are already at, with that, with that broad definition, 
in in the current workforce, we're at 30 to 40%, if I'm correct, of the workforce that is already participating in the gig economy. And that number is only growing. Where do you see that uh, in the next five to 10 years? I only see that number increasing. It's really hard to get really good numbers on the gig economy. It's a relatively nascent trend. People define it differently. It's hard to uh, get at these workers sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I think 30 30 to 40% is a reasonable range to think about. And if you look forward uh, in the next, you know, five years to a decade, I only see that number increasing as more people, first of all, take on side gigs in in addition to full-time work. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, make the transition to working independently. Absolutely. So two of the major themes of the podcast are job satisfaction and employee engagement. We're looking to help our employees be more satisfied in in their careers. And those two two things, employee engagement and satisfaction, usually don't score very high when they are subject to national studies. Uh, There was a Gallup study that just came out on engagement that I think placed worldwide employee engagement at around 15%. So based on your book, The Gig Economy, um, I would assume that you you would argue that the side hustles or even full-time gig work are key to having more people satisfied in their work as they're able to pursue things that they are more passionate about. Is that correct? Yes, and I would say that it's less my argument than it is, as you point out, the evidence that the data suggests sure. right, about what's yes. really going on in the world. And when you look at the data, you're absolutely correct. Traditionally, employee surveys have indicated that employees are not engaged and not satisfied with their jobs, and they're not highly productive in the office. And those are persistent trends. The way that I like to put it is, work is ripe for disruption. There's obviously a lot of pain points. There's a lot of things that aren't working about traditional work for Mm -hmm. many employees. Right. The gig economy uh, isn't the only answer or solution to that, but it is one answer that seems to be working because when you interview and survey independent workers, the results look very different. Mm -hmm. Independent workers consistently report that they are engaged with what they're doing. They find their work meaningful and challenging. They're satisfied with their work life. um, And they're very productive and efficient. So a completely different experience emerges when you look at the data. Absolutely. And so one of the areas uh, where we see the lowest employee engagement are in unskilled labor jobs. So we're talking service jobs, manufacturing jobs, other jobs that traditionally don't require college education, and are also, you know, going to be the immediate victims of things like automation and AI, which are growing rapidly. So our gig jobs, potentially, I would imagine, um, they, these gig jobs could be a solution to achieving more satisfaction for uh, those people who are, excuse me, who uh, historically participate in uh, unskilled labor jobs. Yeah, I mean, 
let's let's take a look at that a little bit because I do think that's an important point um, and one that that matters quite a lot. Sure. So if you look at the in, if you look at the unskilled jobs in our economy, as you point out, they're primarily service jobs, retail, fast food restaurants, uh, manual jobs like driving a, a taxi or a delivery person. Sure. The problem with those jobs, why they're considered sort of bad jobs, is that the people in them aren't well paid and they don't have access to employee benefits. Mm -hmm. If you look at gig economy work in the same sectors, right? So if you think about somebody who is doing uh, unskilled gig economy work, like driving for Uber or delivering for Instacart or doing uh, errands for TaskRabbit, the same situation exists. They're not well paid. Yes. And they still don't have access to employee benefits. So economically, those unskilled workers are in the same position, whether they're in the traditional jobs economy okay. or whether they're in the gig economy. Mm -hmm. The main difference, though, and the reason uh, for those workers why the gig economy looks somewhat better is that in the gig economy, those workers have control over their schedule. Yes. When and where they work. And they also have control over how much they work. And therefore, they have greater control over their income. So if you compare somebody who, for example, is a cashier in a fast food restaurant, you know, they're given a schedule every week, which is not the same. And they're given a set number of hours, usually a number of hours that keeps them under uh, the cap for which they have to be offered employee benefits. Mm -hmm. So if that person is now doing gig economy work, they can decide when it suits them to work. They're not subject to being given a schedule and they can also decide how many hours a week they choose to work versus being limited by what their employer will give them. So control is a huge, uh, has a huge impact on quality of life. And mm -hmm. that's really the main difference between an employee and a gig worker on in, 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 in an unskilled position is that they have a lot more control and therefore better quality of life, absolutely. even though their economics were the same. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I do want to hit on that economics piece, especially in regard to benefits. So we've seen lawsuits in places like California against Uber uh, and other similar companies, traditionally gig companies, that whether or not th their workforce is actually comprised of employees or uh, gig workers, contract workers, uh, as as Uber says that they are. So are we going to be seeing more of these kind of lawsuits? And do you see uh, the law changing in the future regarding um, regarding benefits to gig workers? I hope that we see more lawsuits, um, not for lawsuits sake. Sure, I hope sure. that that is one way that people express the need for change because the laws really do need to change. Um, we currently have a labor market that is fantastic if you are a full-time employee. You get all kinds of benefits and rights and protections, but as soon as you decide to um, work differently, as soon as you decide to work independently, hang out your own shingle, or you're not able to get a full-time job, mm -hmm. you are stripped of those rights, benefits, and protections. Right. So our labor market really is designed for full-time employees, and it only benefits full-time employees. Right. In my opinion, we need to expand that. We need to say, look, there are a lot of ways that people work now, and we need to extend those benefits and protections and rights 
to everyone who works, mm -hmm. not just full-time employees. And we've actually seen that happening in this pandemic. Um, the most visible example is income protection. So when the pandemic hit and millions of Americans started filing for unemployment because they lost their jobs, un unemployment, I'm gonna put that in quotes, unemployment benefits or income protection is more accurate, mm -hmm. was extended to independent workers as a protection. And that was hugely meaningful and a very powerful acknowledgement about how many people are working independently and should have access to benefits that traditionally have only been given to employees. So hopefully we'll see a lot more of that and hopefully we'll see that income protection benefit stay in place for independent con contractors even once this pandemic uh, is over. Absolutely. So I think when we're thinking about going back to work satisfaction, engagement in, in their work, doing things that you are passionate about. A lot of people, they, they look at the gig economy, they look at uh, how broad it is as far as consulting uh, and, and different projects of, those, of that nature. And they want to participate in the gig economy, yet one of the biggest things holding them back where they really would like to work for, for themselves full time, have a couple of side hustles that they're really passionate about, but what's holding them back is the financial uncertainty. It can take a long time for a side hustle or even a full-time uh, gig job to become profitable and to make significant money from it. And in many cases, the income can still be highly variable. So what's your advice for people who want to achieve that kind of job satisfaction that the gig economy can provide and that same flexibility, but who are worried uh, about that financial uncertainty? Well, my first piece of advice would be to acknowledge that there is no financial stability and security in full-time jobs. And we've absolutely seen that in 2020 with yeah. a number of people who have lost their jobs and been furloughed and laid off. So if you're looking to a full-time job or to a single company uh, for your entire sense of financial stability and security, that's highly risky. Mm -hmm. So I would say first acknowledge that. Then secondly, my advice is to always have a side gig. Even if you're in a full-time job and you are feeling financially stable and secure, that is really the best time to launch a side gig because it's low risk. Mm -hmm. You can actually go out into the world, start offering your service or your product and make sure that there is demand for your service or product, understand what people are willing to pay for it, you can uh, start acquiring clients and therefore references, even by doing that on the side and then continue building it if it is getting traction until you're naturally at the point where you're earning enough money to be able to consider leaving your full-time job. So that's kind sure. of the ideal way to transition into the gig economy is to start with a side hustle, build it, and then when you're ready, transition. Mm -hmm. If that's not possible, if you've already lost your job, for most people, they're still getting unemployment benefits. Mm -hmm. And that's still a better time than not working at all to launch your side gig or to launch one or two side gigs and approach it as an experiment. Sure. You know, here are the things that I think that I can do to earn money, to um, go out into the world and hang out my own shingle. And I'm gonna try a different, few different angles and see what I enjoy the most, 
see what seems to have the greatest traction and see where I'm able to earn the most money. So really approaching it with an experimental mindset and then listening to feedback from the market and doubling down on what seems to be working and focused on growing that until it reaches an income level that you can sustain. Yeah, that, that definitely makes sense. And But what we have seen is some companies, and I think this is shifting um, just because companies are realizing that they that their talent, um, by and large, is pursuing side hustles in a way that they haven't necessarily been before. But we have seen some companies that have company policies against side hustles or side gigs. Uh, I can't imagine that that's going to be a winning talent strategy uh, for companies going forward. Would you agree? I would agree. I have seen companies put restrictions on side hustles when they're competitive. Mm -hmm. But I think it's very hard for a company or an employer, and I really haven't seen this, to put a blanket prohibition on what you can do outside the office on your own time mm -hmm. that is completely separate from your work life. Sure. I, don't, I don't think that is sustainable or effective uh, or or uh, appropriate or possibly even legal. So sure. I, don't, I don't think employers have that kind of power to put a blanket prohibition. Sure. But I do think it's reasonable if you're doing something that's com directly competitive, I can see where that would be restricted. Absolutely. So I want to dive into uh, another HR issue associated with the gig economy. So Google at this point has a majority of their workforce comprised of temporary workers. We've seen the rise of companies like Upwork that hire temporary contractors um, to do certain uh, projects. So first off, do you see more large companies following Google's lead and hiring a large amount of temporary workers or contractors? And how is that going to change uh, things like recruiting and the way that we even think about what the term employment even means? Yeah, I, I do think it will become a greater trend. I think one of the big barriers to companies hiring independent workers and making them part of their workforce has been this uh, opposition or resistance to working with uh, independent workers that are remote, that aren't actually in the office all the time. Mm -hmm. 2020 has changed all of that. People have had to adapt to the idea of remote work. Right. And I think for many companies that has forced them to change their mindset around how, what the, what the available talent pool is that they're fishing in. And it's now become much bigger. So for your average company, uh, you know, if they're looking at filling a position that's traditionally been difficult to fill, or they're looking to fill a position um, or hire somebody for skills that are incredibly in demand, I think it's much more likely now that companies are willing to uh, look more broadly geographically to make, to make it a regional search or a national search and to consider bringing on an independent worker who might not be coming into the office every day. Mm -hmm. um, rather than focusing on hiring an employee in a full-time position for that role. So I think companies have really broadened how they think about uh, what their talent looks like. It doesn't have to be an employee and also where that talent is located. It doesn't have to be in the office every day. And, uh, you know, so I think going forward, those trends will only amplify. Definitely. And so I want to close by looking ahead 
to the future of the gig economy. As we've already said, it is only going to take up a larger share of our workforce going forward. So I want to turn to how we prepare for it. Uh, you've been an advocate for providing more education and opportunities in our business schools to better prepare students for the change in reality of work and the shift to the gig economy. I believe you've even started your own master's program, if I'm correct. Uh, so as we look ahead, what steps do we need to take in education and in business uh, to better prepare our future workforce for a for a working world that's primarily gig? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. And I, I do teach, I created and teach uh, an MBA class on the gig economy. I don't have my own master's program yet, but okay, I teach okay. an MBA program. Okay, MBA class, yes, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> yes, yes. I was giving you a lot of credit I there. Have, <laughs> <laughs> I have been a strong advocate that universities and business schools need to do a better job preparing students to work successfully in a workforce that is made up of independent workers and gig workers, not just full-time employees. Right now, most universities and business schools really only focus on preparing their students to be full-time employees. Yes, and I think yeah. that's a disservice. So there does need to be more, um, you know, teaching students how to run their own business, how to, how to engage in business development activities, how to negotiate contracts, how to price their work, how to put together a portfolio, all of those kinds of practical running your own business kinds of skills. Um, and you know, universities and MBA programs both need to focus more on teaching those skills. And there also needs to be a much more um, dedicated focus on making sure students have gigs while they're in school. There's no need to wait for summer to get a full-time job. I mean, students can, can be doing gigs and projects and tasks all during the academic year as well as on breaks and career services needs to be much more active in helping those kinds of experiences um, at the corporate level i think companies really need to expand how they think about their workforce and look for places where they can hire independent workers where they can take you know positions full-time jobs and slice and dice them into projects and assignments that can be um, accomplished by independent workers. And, you know, thinking about building a blended workforce that includes both independent and remote workers and as well as full-time employees. So there's lots of ways that um, both universities and companies can change their mindsets and change their practices to embrace uh, the change in the way people are working. Well, Diane, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. And I definitely want to plug your book and I'll plug it again at the end of the episode. Um, but your book is The Gig Economy, The Complete Guide to Getting Better Work, Taking More Time Off and Financing the Life You Want. Um, so if listeners are interested in our conversation today and want to learn more about the gig economy or want to start uh, work on starting a side hustle uh, of their own, they can definitely check out the book on Amazon. But Diane, thank you so much for taking the time today. Really appreciate you coming on. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Take care. Thank you. I want to thank Diane Mulcahy again for taking the time to talk with us. I really do believe that the gig economy is a crucial element that can help us lead to create a happier and more productive workforce. 
by helping more people do work they love and better manage a work-life balance. As we discussed, it is now on policymakers and our companies to recognize this change in our workforce and take action to give more people the opportunities that the gig economy can provide. If you want to better understand the gig economy and learn how to start your own path to gig work, you can order Diane's book, The Gig Economy, The Complete Guide to Getting Better Work, Taking More Time Off, and Financing the Life You Want on Amazon. You can also learn more about Diane and all of her work by visiting dianemulcahy.com or following the link in our show notes. That's all for us today. We'll see you next time on the Why We Work podcast.